0: Hi, I'm Garrett, and welcome to The Conversation. I think conversation is one of the most important tools we have for building and maintaining genuine relationships. In the age of the internet and social media, the conversation is a dying art. While we're technically more connected than ever, it seems more difficult than ever to engage with alternative perspectives in a meaningful way. We talk past each other and speak totally different languages without even knowing it. This show is my attempt at working on that problem. I'm trying to learn how to have meaningful conversation and practice what I learn. It's partly an experiment. Maybe if I start having more difficult conversations, I can get better at it. Maybe we can all get better at it. I don't know how this experiment's gonna turn out, but hey, this could be interesting. Let's start by talking a little bit about. Uh, I mean, first of all, I guess why I'm talking to you because uh, you you dropped idea. a dropped a little question in in Paul Vanderclay's uh, I guess his atheist week. <laughs> so first of all, yeah, you right. you would self-identify yeah. as an atheist, an anti-theist, or how how would you self-identify when it comes to those terms?
1: Yeah, just like an agnostic atheist in in okay i think i'll I'll say it in the sense of like in this kind of community in something like a like paul's discord server where there are people who find those terms meaningful useful for identifying how i how i am different from them right right in the sense that i don't live as if a specific conceptualization of god exists for sure like um one like you know whether it be calvinist or armenian or anything like that right um, but I'm agnostic about it. Like I'm open to it. Um, and then just more broadly, like I'm if I were to be open to a kind of theism, it would be so radically different from the kind of theism that those uh, kinds of like evangelical types or people who are familiar with like North American <laughs> evangelicalism are thinking of that it wouldn't be useful to even talk about it in the same terms. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like uh, it would so be a panentheistic kind of view. It would probably be open and relational, a process right. uh, theological in in nature, and it would be highly pluralistic and something that is sits as well within the Taoist language as the Christian language. Or, mm-hmm. or the Buddhist language um, so uh, it, it, it wouldn't be useful to even uh, go into that kind of language with, with most people in that kind of community in my opinion yeah so uh, yeah, uh, but for the most part yeah I mean like most of my thinking is based on a naturalist conceptualization of the world um, so yeah in, in all of those senses I think like atheist is an appropriate term.
0: So why did you uh, become interested in listening to Paul's stuff?
1: So actually, I was introduced to it through. So a friend of mine, Nathan, who um, has a channel, Digital Nurses, he was doing some critiques of um, some videos by Peterson, Peugeot, and Paul. And so okay. I just jumped in, and we just started like riffing. I, I had never watched, I had seen Peterson before, obviously, and mm-hmm. I'm familiar with his work, and familiar with the criticisms of his work, which I find rather important to be aware of. And then was very unfamiliar with Peugeot and Van okay. der and Peugeot, I found like a little bit less useful and Van okay. der Klee, most of the criticisms were just, um, a kind of like not using that. There wasn't a lot of specific language that made sense of things easier. You know, it was a lot of kind of word salad is the, is the way that a lot of people talk about it. So, um, but I did sense from Paul, like a real genuine sincerity, um, and like that real pastoral energy, <laughs> if yeah, you can talk yeah. about it like that, which
0: he for sure has a that. genuine,
1: like, yeah. And that like seeking, seeking, um, of truth and like trying to get to trying to ask the big questions, which I think is always interesting to me. It's has always been interesting to me. And, um, anyone who's doing that and, and sincere, um, is interesting to me. So, so, and that's why, that's why I was like, okay, I'm uh, like, i'd be interested in just for a little while. jumping into this discord server and and checking out how, what's going on there and had a conversation yeah like i said had the q a opportunity and and through talking to some other people thought it'd be worth like chucking some of those questions and and i think after having that little back and forth with him i was like yeah this is definitely um I, like the vibes i got were, were kind of reinforced and i was like yeah he, he seems like someone who's not um yeah, not like a charlatan at all, or anything like <laughs> that. Um, just somebody trying to figure it out, like all of us. So.
0: so, can I get you to kind of rewind a little further back and maybe explain your a, a bit of your story, just with with interaction with religion or religious communities in the first place?
1: Yeah, so I was um, born in like in, born into a lapsed Catholic family, um, Roman Catholic on my mom's side, okay. and. I don't know what my dad's side of the family believed if they ever were involved in any of that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, and it's in, in Australia, which is a relatively lack kind of country in terms of, you know, most people either are just nominally Christian, um, but very much like it's not a major concern, um, what the teachings are or what, what, what how that should affect your life or if it should affect your life at all, you know, like, most people who even identify as Catholic you know they wouldn't be worried about conception like uh, what do you call it? contraception or or you know not having sex before marriage or any of these you know sure. things that somebody who is like a fundamental kind of Christian trying to live the way might be concerned with based upon a lot of the common theologies that you hear so that was kind of the context um had like some brief encounters with the Catholic Church, you know like midnight mass on Christmas or sure. Easter or whatever um and then I did like a a very late confirmation, just like to appease my nonna, because I really wanted to. I thought it would be worthwhile. Like, what is it to me A few, a few afternoons and learn some things and then just say some words, and, and it makes people happy, right? I'm a people <laughs> pleaser at heart. So, and um, I remember like hearing the one story of like um, let let he who's without sin, cast the first stone. I'll say that's a pretty cool story to play around with in your mind, like. Um, to turn that, to turn that judgment inwards first, um, before going outwards. Yeah, that's cool. Like whatever, but didn't think much of it. And then, you know, as I became a teenager, had that very like anti-theist, uh, energy as you know, it's pretty popular and it's pretty like, it's pretty popular to be critical of religion. It's easy. You know, like I'm someone who likes to joke around and it's super easy pickings in terms of comedy, right? Like to yeah. just poke fun at religion. Um, And then had, so that was my background. And then I had um, in the, towards the end of high school, I had some, started getting into psychedelics and, and drugs. And that kind of opened up um, a lot of different areas of life. Mm. I think I was quite enchanted as a kid, I would say, through a lot of reading and being in books and just kind of like, maybe the kind of personality that I have. I was quite like a daydreamer, always lost in, Lost in thought, but also just lost in stories and in nature, like I would just kind of be pretty, I had that sense of wonder, I think, you know, I I could come up with stories to entertain myself. Um, And then I kind of lost that a little bit through high school. And I think I was looking for something to re-enchant my life in some ways to, you know, and act. it kind of came out a little bit of escapism through the psychedelics but um but it did re-enchant me for sure like those kinds of experiences like doing acid doing dmt um which is something that you know a 17 year old probably isn't (laughs) a good idea to be having like one of the most intense psychedelic experiences you can have um and for me it was a a, you know like a breakthrough experience where you have like an experience of consciousness that has no self-attached that has no sense of Mm. um separation between experiencer and experience and all that kind of stuff so you know then you think like hey my models of reality really aren't that solid Like, <laughs> yeah can, can Ooh, you and I just, explain yeah. a little bit more about i mean because i it, i've been
0: thinking about like you know especially with the rise in popularity of joe rogan in the past few years several years he's like he talks all the time about various psychedelics and stuff and 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 like I think oftentimes when people start talking about religious stuff, he, his his mind tends to go there too. And it's just like, okay, th- yeah, there's this whole other, I don't know there's another other layer of consciousness or something like, I, so I, yeah. I, that's at least become very interesting to me. And I listen to different people talk about it, but I, can you explain a little bit more about what that experience is, is like, like,
1: yeah. So if, if I want to just characterize it like this and so I like take it all with maybe like a, you know, a couple of grains of salt, like this is just me trying to, you know, tell a story to, to yeah, yeah, yeah. encapsulate a feeling without getting, you know, without using too many words. Right. But if I was to try and communicate it easily, I would say that sense of wonder and awe and that sense of being connected and, and one with everything that I felt as a child that I felt like I'd kind of lost having those experiences like being on acid and, and especially DMT, but, you know, even acid is like just having that like 12 hours of almost like, uh, of this altered state of consciousness where you, you feel like for me, it just felt reconnecting with that part of myself that says, no, this isn't actually separate from you. And yes, this is an amazing place that you are not separate from, And, Mm -hmm. um, and you you know, that part of me that did want to just embrace all and like, and love, you know, that wanted to kind of, to use some woo-woo language, just kind of be love Mm
0: -hmm.
1: was valid. It was valid. And it's here, it's right here. It's so easy to access like that. You can just take this substance and you're there again. And, Mm -hmm. and yes, you know, you get some funny, like on acid, maybe you get some like funny, um, Hallucinatory experiences, but I wasn't so interested in that. For me, it was all about that, like, hey, that a yes like to, oneness. To reality. Yeah. Like, yeah, that sense of oneness, that sense of this isn't this isn't a mistake. Like this isn't a problem to be solved, what we're what we're doing here, right? But then you have to come back and you have to kind of like reintegrate that experience. Yeah. And the DMT experience, particularly, is one that's so discontinuous with the rest of my states of consciousness. Yeah. Well, I, to, to you were feel talking like earlier, I was color. Yeah. You said like, that, like. I mean, you say that shit. Yeah. So you say, like, you feel, like, I would say, one of the most profound, like, propositional statements that I came back that I can, it has stuck with me is, like, feeling like I was color. I was the colors <laughs> bolting, <laughs> bolting in on themselves. And it's one of those things that sounds so silly, but, like, the feeling of it, the experience of it was so vivid. Right. And, and, and cause even in that statement, I've said that I was feeling like X, but, but really there was no, again, there was no separation there. It just was, it was color folding in itself that was being experienced. And then I come back and I have to try and like tell other people about it. Right. And then I'm back into this guy, Alex experiencing things. But, um, so I think that just really opened me up and was like, Hey, you know, there's more going on here.
0: Yeah. Uh, so you were talking earlier, you said that, like, if, if you were to try to, you know, if you were to be able to associate or, or use comfortably some religious language, it would probably end up uh, being equally compatible with it, with like a Taoist understanding. Uh, mm. And, and like, especially, I mean, when I think about Taoism, obviously, I, I'm not deeply entrenched in that tradition. I just know the popular no, stuff either, about yin, yin yeah. and yang right it's just that's it's like okay th- that that's a very interesting concept to me as far as you know you y- you have like the way to live is to find that balance between yin and yang or or, or to find or to walk i guess walk the line of dao between between that i guess i mean in petersonian language the chaos and order right and right i mean w- when you're talking yeah. about these like talking about this these kinds of very um Experiences where where the borders between everything sort of breaks sort of breaks down and and you become one with with color and one it's just like a a connection to everything. It's like, I mean, I've been thinking a lot about why it is that I mean I guess just really, Obviously, I, I identify with, with with a particular religious tradition, so I, I have reason to think about tradi- about religion a lot. But I I don't think that religion is just that woo woo language. I think. um I think religion, a good religion, anyways, is is something that helps you exactly to do that, to straddle that line between that sort of spiritual thinking and experience yeah. into, and then mm-hmm. have it in sort of a good, uh, good relationship with with a with a more stark pattern in your life.
1: Right. I, I would I would say that for me, there's there's an experience that's at the core of many of these spiritual teachings, and what the teachings do. Is provide language that can help validate that experience, yeah. Within a you know, within a variety of different cultures and contexts and societies that might um, be turning towards invalidating it, right? Um, you know, in a, in a context where we're taught that we are above nature or that we're under nature, we are, we need to have that valid validation of the experience of being in nature, one with nature, right? Because there's so many ways in which we're pulled in different directions to not do that, and to um, yeah, to just kind of like cut ourselves off and start telling ourselves stories that um, you know lead to a kind of delusion that lead us to not see clearly, that lead us to act in ways that are harmful to ourselves and others and the environment. You know, the others I would include in that objects and animals and and, and different things. And when we do that, yeah, we cause damage to ourselves too, because we aren't separate from those things that we consider other. Like if I, if I treat disparagingly this apartment that I live in, then eventually that, that apartment, the apartment will take revenge on me by making me miserable because I'm like, shit, this place sucks. Like it's, it's dirty and it doesn't smell nice. And like it, and you know, it's, it causes me pain, like in yeah. in some real sense, right? Um, well, I mean, I, I, and, an idea I've been like yeah.
0: thinking about, and a question I've been wondering about lately is 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 there any like? So you're saying, obviously, we're not separate uh, in every possible way from the other things that exist around us. There's there's a sense in which we're right. we're all part of the same process, um, mm-hmm. and I mean. I've been wondering: Are there any things? Are there any words that describe things that aren't just metaphors for the things? <laughs> and obviously, that, yeah, that sounds so like a, a dumb is, yeah. question unless you've so you're engaging it from where, a particular like,
1: angle. This is why I think it's helpful to kind of jump in between some different um, <laughs> mythical universes, if you want to use that term. Of like, yeah. okay, but when we're like when we're talking about when we're talking about getting some shit done, right? It's very useful to just say that the rock is the rock, right? I don't need to think about necessarily that the rock is, you know, in terms of in terms of how it's related to me exactly, right? Um, I just need to know how that rock functions in relation to the environment. Like, um, okay, if I hit it with X amount of force, it's going to break in, in sure, some sure. kind of predictable way, whether, you know, it's probably, there's a probably some probabilities involved there in terms of the ways in which it will break. But, you know, we can say that it's most likely going to break this kind of way or whatever that's fine but then you know i think that is at some level you still need to keep in mind that that rock is like saying the rock is really some like a metaphor for a bunch of a society of atoms that are you know like that are working together and and those are vibrations and like right, you the know, atoms yeah the, even calling yeah. them atoms is a metaphor for for the, the, the exactly exactly as you keep going down this is the point right that the right. this is the point that whitehead makes like that the a lot of the philosophy that we've done a lot of the like systems that we've built up over the course of history are based on a metaphysic that is um, completely out of date on the observations that we actually make in reality. So at, at one time we looked at the rock and we said that the rock is a thing that exists over time and has the qualities that it has. And well, it's... It, so yeah, this, it's this is where I, I think we should, yeah. we
0: should try to split some things apart because I, I think, I mean... Yeah, the difference between things is is how you interact with them, not their sort of not these sort of actual, um, maybe, very clear infinite physical borders that separate them from everything else. It's just like yeah. something becomes a different. I mean, and this is sort of the the view of of like phenomen like the phenomenolo- phenomenological view. So like Heidegger's view, yeah. which I mean I haven't read any Heidegger, but I've heard people talk about Heidegger. So I I just like saying yeah. Heidegger because you could say Heideggerian, and that's a great word. Um, it's a great word, <laughs> <laughs> but I, when, when it comes to phenomenology and, and that perspective on the world and seeing things not as sort of objects uh, that you know that are made up of of little bits like little little bits of atoms, mm-hmm. I don't think that that is really the perspective of um, of most religions. I, I think that's a pretty modern uh, kind of Western perspective because as, as far as like when it comes to even even looking at at the christian creation story it's like that that's not uh, a story about objective reality it's a story about uh, the phenomenological perspective of a human on the earth and seeing that the earth is i mean i mean even i guess talking about flat earth it's like the the earth is flat to the observer it's uh, it's it's not yeah. round unless you're you're doing something different with it like so so for all the intents and purposes of of an ancient person or even for most modern people who
1: aren't scientists uh the Earth is flat, right? Right. So this is this is where this is where like the the pushback comes pretty pretty much from from like someone like myself, right? Where we can talk we can talk about that. Like, yeah, okay, maybe yeah, it seemed flat to them, but in a very real sense, they were on a spherical world, right? Like we know that they were living on the same spherical planet that we were. But
0: correct. The planet like, isn't isn't meaningfully correct. spherical unless you're doing certain sorts of no no, no uh, it is science mean,
1: it is meaningfully It is meaningfully spherical because if you sail in a certain direction, right, you you, will end up back at the same spot. And so like eventually, so in terms of meaningfully spherical, yeah, okay, you can talk about the fact that they were, that they had this perspective, but that perspective was wrong, right? That perspective wasn't the accurate depiction of the actual world we live in as as we know it, right? And as they would have known it if they had access to the information that we have.
0: Right, So it it becomes a different world when you can do different things with it. So like, yeah, it's meaningfully spherical to us because we have the amount of resources uh, to potentially travel around the entire thing. But to ancient peoples, that was so far out of reach that like, okay, it's not meaningfully spherical because nobody in their lifetime is going to go around the whole thing.
1: Yeah, but just because it wasn't meaningfully spherical to them, it doesn't mean that it wasn't spherical, right? It's not true that it was flat. It's not the truth, right? In terms of like how most people use the truth, how most people today use the truth, which (laughs) is how you're You're not talking to an ancient person and you're not an ancient
0: person. Most people today... when people say that it's
1: true, they mean how we think of truth typically in a day-to-day environment.
0: But I mean, in a day-to-day environment, we we aren't thinking, we're we're not really doing science most of the day. And again, like to to me, I'm not a sailor and I'm not a pilot of a plane either. So to me the the Earth, and I and I'm also not designing technology for satellites or something to triangulate signals around a a, a, a globular Earth, like right. to me my Earth my reality
1: is that the Earth is flat. Right, but it's not though. But like if you look at <laughs> if you look over a hill, if you look if you look out at the ocean, you see the sun descending over what you know is a globular Earth. Like you don't you never get to separate yourself from these, I don't know, for me, how I've experienced my, my life is I don't get to forget things that I've learned that are fundamental about how the world works. Right. So if I, you know, the classic example, I know that fire is hot. I never get to forget that and be like, well, it doesn't seem hot to me because I'm far enough away from it. Right. Like, and, and now to me, fire isn't hot. Like, no, I know that if I get close enough to it, i will be burned right Right. and that is the nature of fire and that is the reality i live in in the same sense i never get to forget that the sun is actually rotating. you know that we're like that we're not in a a situation where the the sun rotates around the the earth but we actually rotate around the sun right like i get to you know i never get to forget that i'm one like on a planet in a universe i never get to forget that and pretend like well because somebody because i walk around on on flat land for the most part. Um, I know that this earth isn't all that there is and I never get to forget that. Yeah. Even if I'm not consciously thinking about it, it's part of my unconscious processes. I'm constantly apprehending that. I'm constantly ha- having that in the back of my mind when I start to ref- especially when I start to reflect. When I start to reflect, in- immediately I have to go, okay, I know, I know that these things about reality Otherwise, the reflection would be meaningless and not valuable and wouldn't help me further my thinking in a way that's accurate to the reality that I exist in. It would just be like, um, um, it would basically be a daydream or a fantasy, which has its purposes for like creating like stories, but it doesn't have a purpose for like helping me understand my world, which is really important if I want to get some shit done. So I I
0: I I think I'm I'm following what you're saying, but I I don't. I, it seems like there's a there's a disconnect though between what we we're talking about before and and maybe uh, yeah. obviously it's not disconnecting for you, but uh like for me when when we talk about how like if if every statement about the universe is in a way sort of metaphorical, right? It has only to do with you know what the, the most the useful statements. way of yeah, yeah the statements so the, so the statements have to do with the most useful way of thinking about that thing, uh. Or thinking about it as a particular entity with a particular shape and with particular borders and particular uses right. it has to do with how you again how you would use it right
1: yeah but like in terms of that it's again the most useful one is the one that's most accurate right the one that's most accurate to the well, reality I, that i find myself I, th-
0: I think those are sort of reciprocally i think you could flip them because i think probably the most uh accurate one is the most useful one <laughs>
1: right um yeah so it ten, again like this is where like the you need to like for me I, I feel like you we always need to be really conscious of the philosophy of language or just like how useful words yeah. could actually be to to communicate our meanings and stuff like that right because most, most of the time like when i say that things are a metaphor like i'm not saying that everything is a metaphor all the time like when you're in it like when i'm making coffee for example it's not a metaphor that the grind needs to be smaller to, to increase extraction. Like that's not a metaphor in, in that specific circumstance. Like it's, it's a kind of knowledge. Like I know what I'm doing is going to have an impact on the world. Um, and so the functionality of, of this kind of speaking is something that I really question, like how many of these conversations are really that useful in that sense like when we kind of just keep going around in circles is what i've noticed in the online discourse around this kind of stuff right because you see people talking past each other because they're like well what is accurate is actually most what's useful what's most useful is what's mo- what's most accurate but how do you define what's useful yeah how do you define what's useful if if yeah, because that always comes down to values it always comes down to what you absolutely value. So yeah if you if you value family right yeah. then what's useful to you is what helps you to build a family if you don't and value everything family, divine, yeah. especially so, if, if your only value is your family, just to make things
0: simple, then every yeah. other thing that exists around you only even comes into existence from your phenomenological perspective when it becomes a thing that can be used or is an obstacle to reaching that ideal or, or, or whatever, like right. reaching your values, yeah. reaching for your values. It's not and even a separate think, thing yeah. until, it, until it becomes something that, that either stops, prevents you or, or is, is useful to you.
1: unless it relates to your values yeah right here's the thing that i find interesting i think a lot of the times the conversations about religion that i'm seeing in terms of like the poor spaces and all that kind of stuff i think in those terms right they're they're you know in the peterson types they're thinking like we've got a religion helps us get to like a better understanding of what's useful or all this kind of stuff where i think of religion in existential terms similar to pete Rowland, similar to like kierkegaard right um and or at least roland's interpretation of kierkegaard Yeah, yeah, yeah or in terms of like the the fact that what we're talking about there, right? So let's take a, the simple example that we've we've set up of um, the only thing that matters to you is your family is that existentially what that means is that you think that there's a thing that you need to get to, to be better or to be okay. Mm-hmm. Right? Like if I get the family, if I set that up and I fix it and I make yeah. it right, then I'm going to be better or I'm going to be happy. I'm going to have the thing. And mm-hmm. I don't think that's, helpful all the time and i think That's, a lot of the time the spiritual practices and teachings are about getting out of that kind of thinking you know, right getting away from that and being like no it's not about there's never going to be a thing if you're waiting for a thing to happen to allow you to stop paying attention to your reality in every moment it's never going to happen it's not right. going to be in the next doctrine it's not going to be in the next book it's not going to be in the next prophet right it's never going to there's never going to be a time where you get to get out of this situation that you're in which is you were thrust into existence without being like without choosing to and now you're just learning and experiencing and and that is that is a state of affairs and that happens within time and the it happens within this human organism that you find yourself in um or that you find yourself that you are which is intimately like i said tied up with the environment and so when I when I, when I think about it, I'm I'm thinking about it in those terms. I'm not so interested in like using religion as a justification for any set of values, um, necessarily. I'm looking at it as like, what do we discover is going on here? It's kind of like my what always. What is, is going is on? Is a here,
0: justification right? of
1: of a set of values? So like, if you want to say that like, well, Christ said X, right? So we should I interpret that as we should okay, like Christ said, you should hate your mother and. Like you should, you know, you should follow, you should deny your mother and father and yeah. you should follow me. What does that even mean? Right. Like in terms of, unless you, until you start framing yeah. it in, in a set of systematic theological terms and the, the thing that I I find
0: there. at the, and again, this is kind of every religious person, every philosophical person, every person who's thinking their, their understanding of their worldview, obviously uh, their reading of the stories that are They identify with updates and changes throughout their life. And, and, but my understanding of Christianity, anyways, is, is that it, it kind of lines up with what you were just saying, anyways, as far as the idea that, you know, heaven and God, these are things that are, and I like the word holy, because holy, uh, at least from what I learned in Sunday school, it means set apart. And, and in sort of a philosophical perspective, is it means it's, it's, that's always its identity. It's always set apart from you. It's not something that you can achieve and so even though yeah we we need to ha- we have a a kind of a we try to progress towards certain values try to reach certain states but like like that rollins idea you never actually get there like <clears throat> this is a, another um my brother was is in business school so he's learning different uh, different math stuff for economics and he taught me the word asymptote last year and i was like that's a great word because at least it helped me to understand my relationship with, with God as well in, in a sense that, like, the approach of the divine is something that's asymptotic. You you never reach it. That's that's the nature of the relationship, and that you know, as soon as you think you've gotten there, then that means I, I, at that point the I think the Christian word for it would just be idolatry.
1: Right. Right. So, so there's a few things to like that I, that come to mind when you when I'm hearing you speak there, like when you talk about the asymptotal, kind of relationship between it there's something there that i feel a push back on which is the idea that you you think that you're getting closer to it and you're never going to actually reach it but you think that it's still something that could be reached if that asymptotal relationship was not the case right like yeah okay we're we're, we're somehow confined by our human dynamics and by the earthly realm but we can't so we can't quite get to the divine Um, maybe you're not saying that but like but what I'm what I'm suggesting, what Rollins would say, is that even if the, the the real crux is recognizing that even if you got there, it still wouldn't be there. It's not actually there. So the um, the analogy is like um, if you like, well, he he talks about the, the, the crucifixion of Christ as as this uh, how he phrases it is that like Christianity is the libid- libidinal disinvestment of the in the lost object this idea that there's something that we are missing that we're going to get to like the divine and and you're saying what i hear you saying is that there's something that we've lost we can't get there but we still believe that it's there and what he's saying is that when you see christ say my god my god why have you forsaken me he's he sees that as as a recognition and i think he takes this from Zizek. he sees that as a recognition that um god himself isn't whole that the divine is actually also broken, right? And and so even if you got to God, you still couldn't get whole because God himself isn't whole. And he he likens this to the idea of like when you're a child, you have like no sense of self for the first period of time, like six six months before a sense of self starts to develop. So before that, you're just a um, like undifferentiated experience, similar to yeah. what I was kind of perhaps similar. We don't know. Yeah, perhaps <laughs> similar to. Perhaps similar to the DMT experience I'm talking about, but at the very least, we know that the sense of self begins to develop around that time. And that's when they start to, before that, you can just hand them to anyone, right? They don't, they're kind of like just, just whatever's going on is, is them. And then at some point they start to realize that they are separate from these things that they're experiencing. And then they start to posit something that they've lost. However, there's not something that they've lost because it was the creation of the sense of themness that has left them feeling like they have lost something. Yeah, they've, but they've lost when you feel like
0: lack of yeah. identity or they've, they've lost connection yeah. being
1: everything. But they didn't have it. they didn't have it because they didn't exist, right like they didn't have they didn't right. have non-identity. Right. Sure. And so, but, but once they come into existence and then they sense that it's not quite, it's not non-identity, it is identity, mm-hmm. then it's natural for us to posit that there's something that we've lost that we can get to. And and typically this is the parental figure or whatever guardian is there. And then they try and look for, and that's when people, you know, in psychological terms, that's when people develop their attachment types, depending on what kind of figures they have in their life. And, you know, the, the real point there is like you need to wean yourself off you need to wean the child because they need to learn that you couldn't make them whole they think if they get to the mother that they can be whole um, with the mother and that that's the whole like freudian analysis and all yeah, that kind yeah. of stuff but like but the idea is that like at some point they need to recognize that even if they could be everything to their parents it still wouldn't be enough to make them whole because their parents can't be whole either their parents don't even know what they want You know, you want to give your parents what they want, potentially. If you have a good relationship with your parents, maybe you want to make them happy, you want to make them proud. But they, like, at the core, you can't take away their sense of um, drive, right? Sense of something that they're working towards, that they're working out. Um, That's something that's unfolding in them that they can't quite get to and they will never um, be whole with. So when it comes to the Christ image there, it's that it's like you need... (laughs) this is why he does like atheism for Lent. It's like, you need to lose faith. You need to lose right. hope that there's ever a chance of getting to that thing. And Bushi um, Yamato Damashi, who is a Zen Buddhist teacher who used to be a, a pastor in North Carolina, super interesting person. If you want to listen to some of his stuff, I think it's it's some of the most fascinating work. He has something called body Christo, like the awakened Christ where he he's uh, someone who's been a Zen Buddhist for a long time, but he still has some sort of, uh, association with the the Christ stories and narratives, but he, he talks about like the practice of going in allows you to see the things that to see that this is the case, right? Like to see within yourself that uh, actually explore what what yourself is so that you can even get to the point of acting in the world without messing it up to see things clearly. And for him, he talks about like sitting with yourself and recognizing and stopping this feeling that God could provide something for you that like, you know, if you want more peace, if you want more compassion, if you want more, you know, something else in the world, if you want more joy, that this is something that you should expect God to bring to you rather than seeing it as something homegrown. You know, you need to like be willing to, his a phrase that I love of his, which is you need to be daring and willing to breathe the air as it is without any reliance or even the presupposition yeah. that you, tell yourself every morning that there is this God who could do something for you. And I think that is something that regardless of where you end up in your faith walk or wherever you end up on these religious, um, like, you know, battlegrounds or like, you know, divides or whatever, (laughs) like if you want to call them that or just like wherever you end up on the map, right. Of this religious spectrum, I think it is helpful to sit at least for some time with yourself and be like, there is nothing else here going on. That's going to fix this for me right? There, there's no one there. There's no God. There's no Jesus. There's nothing that's going to, there's no spirit that's going to guide me. I just have to sit with reality and breathe the air as it is. And then, you know what, if you find the spirit as a, the Holy Spirit is a useful metaphor for how you find guidance and moving through the world, like go for it. But like for me, when I, that was sort of one of the core issues. So I was at Bible college for two years. I don't know if I mentioned that to you. Oh
0: no, no. I, yeah, I've but, been yeah. at Bible
1: college for two years at uh, one point in my life and it was pretty involved in church, serving on the worship team, um, you know, like trying to get involved in Bible studies, trying to lead small groups, all that kind of stuff. And, yeah, you know, um, the thing that I never could quite get was this this relationship that people said that they had with the Holy Spirit, because like, how do you know what is the Holy Spirit and what is you, right? And people say, it's a feeling. Well, that's a terrible way of getting to truth, right? Like the, the Vedantic Hindu over there says the same thing. And then the Muslim says the same thing. Um, and so who is, uh, right. who is right here. Right. And, um, this idea of causing people to doubt themselves, their own voice, their own, like, you know, not really teaching, people, you know, don't trust yourself. Like the heart is wicked, deceitful above all things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then at the same time, telling them to trust their intuitions about which things they ought or ought not do <laughs> is, is super contradictory. Right? Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? like you can't have it both ways um <laughs> and so i think it's i think that you're having a practice of just meditation and recognizing i'm just sitting with myself and again there's no ego to nurture there's no one else around do it in isolation do it by yourself um and you know i think prayer for for me often was associated with words and i know that there's contemplative types of prayer and that kind of stuff too but that's an often let's be real that isn't often what is taught in churches is this like you know at least not in practice like people are praying out loud with words right yeah and so it's like i'm just talking to I'm just talking again, right? Yeah. And it's easy to talk. I'm a talker. I can talk all the time, but I don't want to talk myself into believing things that that aren't true. I don't yeah. want to talk. I don't want to have to try and pretend like I'm hearing things that aren't um, that I'm not hearing. So, um I, that was a long rant, but I just think like well, maybe that gives you a <laughs> bit of a, an overview of, of where I've ended up, where I'm at. Like,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Um I mean, well,
1: first of all, thanks for
0: <laughs> thanks for catching me up and th- thanks for sharing that with me. But um yeah, I, right. I think my relationship with God as as a person or as an idea, it's it, it's there's a lot of what you said that actually that that plugs in pretty well. It's just that for some reason i i still i still it still seems very meaningful to me to identify with this community and identify as a Christian because I, I mean when I say I believe in God, I don't. I, I guess I, you know, it comes down to like your philosophy of truth uh, and things like that. And so I mean. When when it comes to describing reality as a place, especially as a place to act, it's like okay, I I believe that God exists only because that seems to be a useful idea, and and that I I don't know w- why else to believe anything other than that it's it's useful. Like I I don't I don't feel like I have a direct um a direct hotline to truth on 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 anything, um, right so I, th- there's a, there's a level of, of sort of not quite arbit- arbitrariness but like there's a level of of feeling sort of powerless to have you know direct access to, to to truth in in any regard so it's like to the extent that i believe anything it's 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 sort of a uh, um a weighted bet you know uh,
1: yeah right right I think for most people though like they they think about other things that they are more certain of right like that if I if I drop this coaster it's gonna go downwards right and they're like I, I believe that that's the case more so than I believe that there is and like the reason I think a lot of people push back on it and that I that I would too is is just because you don't know and I think this is like as much as I dislike a lot of what Peterson pushes outside of like just vague like, like truities, and just you know some self help stuff, which I think can be useful to people. um The the idea of, like I, I can get white what he means when he says like when people ask him if he believes in God, and he's like, well, what do you mean by God, right? Like everyone right. knows that there are certain things that um that are in other people's minds that are associated with that word. And um like <laughs> there's a if you've ever listened, I, I a lot of so a lot of my actual thinking about religion on a personal level was done through just listening to music and reflecting on different songs. Right. And like me without you is a band that I yeah. listen to okay. a lot. I'm familiar and, with um, them a little bit. Yeah. So me without you thrice. Um, and I'm trying to think of some other ones that are of that. It's so even like someone like cloud coat as well. So these bands were like, I would listen to them and then I'd reflect on their reflections. Right. And right. one of them that came to mind was, um, me Without You has a song and, and the line is um, This is not the first time that God has died um, right. This is not the first time that capitalized Three-lettered sound has died and, and and this is like These ideas of just like playing with That kind of stuff or like um, yeah. You know, the, I was just listening to the, uh, the I like album, the thing you brought up awful.
0: earlier About about pete rollins's suggestion to to become an atheist for lent because that's in my kind of reprocessing of that story i i really find a lot of this, the same meaning in it I, I i look and i see you know the, the whole story of the passion is about i mean especially from the from the perspective of the disciples it's about their god dying right especially mm-hmm. their expectations and conceptions of what a god is and what what who the christ was it's like the the whole that whole story is about them having to totally enter into a place of, of utter doubt and, and, and basically just non belief because th- they were wrong. They didn't know who God yeah. was or they didn't know what God was. And so yeah, I, I, I think that's, I mean, that's a really important part of, of being a Christian is to be an atheist at least once a year.
1: Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's manageable, right? Like you can, you, you can see that there's an end to it. Like if you, if you really need this, if you really need this belief and it makes you really anxious to not have it, you know, it's only 40 days. Just keep it- <laughs> 40 days, right? Like 40 days and 40 nights in the desert. You can do 40 days and 40 nights without, without this belief as a, as a crutch. Right. And, and then you can actually say with, and this is, here's the thing you can say with sincerity and integrity that you don't use this as a crutch. Not, I don't use this as a crutch and like, and, and you, you don't actually know, you don't actually know, you haven't actually experienced life without it. Right this is something that I think people find that I find is like gets so often lost in, in, I get frustrated with, and this is just a personal thing. This is just my ego and my baggage just being like, I fucking tried. Right. Like I, I went in, you know, I really tried to believe this and I studied it and I, and I, and I did all the theological work. Like I I started to try to deal with the issues of Calvinism versus Armenianism. How does free will come? How does determinism come into this? How does the Holy spirit function? How does salvation work? How do we do exegesis how do we not do eisegesis how do we actually acknowledge where these texts came from how do we actually try and do our best to understand the groups of people who produce these texts all that kind of stuff and i still just ended up being like i like i can't the, the, my understandings of this are so different from the majority of people that i don't find it useful to identify with this anymore yeah. and then also on the, on the other side of things like i really have tried to understand like you know myself like in terms of what is what am i who am i like is there, is there anything that I can say with certainty that I am, that isn't going to change drastically over time? Like um, other than just awareness of conscious experience, like, um, and what is it? Um, like, can I say that the self exists or what, if the self doesn't exist, how does that, how does that really play out? And I've tried to spend some time with these things and, you know, I have tried like, and I do regularly meditate on those kinds of things too. And like to, you know, to try and rely on God and to try and not rely on God are things that I've w- tried to work through. And when people kind of um, say that, like, "Oh, I could, I don't need, I don't use this as a crutch, I don't need this," I, like, I'm, I'm super cynical and skeptical of those statements yeah. until I have evidence that you've actually done something. Like, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't I, say like, that I
0: I'm one it. of those people. I, I, I would freely admit that it's a crutch.
1: Yeah yeah amazing and like and that's great this is what a lot of people want in these conversations is just the honesty and sincerity to be like yeah i use this as a crutch and i don't know maybe i should try and figure out a way to not do that in the same way with like a any human relationship or a job you should be like like maybe maybe i'm maybe i'm staying in this job because it's comfortable and i'm scared of actually trying better trying to better myself right okay cool it doesn't mean that you have to quit that job straight away but maybe you can start making a plan to lessen your reliance on this thing
0: so I, I, I yeah. we, we need to say I, I, figure out what we mean by crutch, I guess, then too. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. It's because like I, something that, yeah,
0: I think, I, I think you're, you're kind of bringing up the topic of like, of codependence, or, mm-hmm. or maybe, uh, yeah. unhealthy codependence, because, I, th- I think that word is something that's kind of come up in, in different self-help circles as sort of a, an intrinsically negative thing, but, codependence is. the the way machines work codependence is the way that family works codependence is the way that society works any relationship works through codependence it's just
1: so i think uh, hmm, i just want to like i think a helpful distinction that i I am someone who struggles with codependence as a as an actual problem and versus like interdependence right which is something which i think is the natural state of being and the state of affairs and something we have to accept and work with and move with so interdependence versus codependence. I like, can I would characterize codependence with like that unhealthy like an unhealthy ability to differentiate and to to kind of like uh, have that sense of like self uh, have that sense of self being like not completely reliant on, on on another person or another thing, right? Versus interdependence where you can recognize well interdependence to me speaks to a multi-directional thing, right? Codependence speaks to like a one one to one. Like um, relationship would be so, would, so yeah, how I would call it a,
0: because the the word itself, like I I think I see what you say. Like as far as like codependence is just basically an abusive relationship, but that yeah. to me that doesn't seem to link up with just the word itself. So the itself. actual like, language.
1: There. So like I I'm someone who like would believe in something like codependent origination, which is that all things arise mutually together, right? So that the actual meaning of the word codependence in in that sense, in like a technical sense, and this is where like we just need to be conscious of how useful words can be yeah. at all. Because like the, the in yes, I think that is typically you're right. Like codependence doesn't necessarily always mean that, but in the context of like codependence as a as a psychological condition that people are talking about nowadays and what they mean, I think that's where the, the miscommunication happens. Right. Because they're thinking of they're thinking of a toxic relationship to yeah. a thing or a person. Similar right. to it's just
0: basically it's just yeah. toxic codependence. <laughs> I, yeah. I I would prefer for a uh, a little descriptive word before codependence because the the word is just. When, when it becomes t- talked about primarily as sort of a disorder or, or as a toxic relationship, it it makes. I don't know. I, I, I feel like it. I mean, any language can kind of fuzzy a conversation, but. Uh,
1: yeah. It's. Well, yeah.
0: I think. I think it's about yeah. c- various say, levels of identity.
1: Is, yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, like, I think there is a myth of independence that we should first address if we're going to yeah, even yeah. talk about codependence. Is this myth that we are at all purely independent? Um, like, the idea that I could somehow, yes, you can live off the grid, like, but then you would still be dependent on a whole bunch of things, right? Like, you'd be dependent on the environment and your ability to, you know, on the earth, you'd be dependent on, like, the fact that nobody else is going to come and, like, mess up your, your current environment and all this kind of stuff. You would be dependent on the former ideas of other ways of living and, like, the way that other people live. And you might say that that's, like, I, I could hear the criticism of somebody in my head being, like, well, that's like not really dependence. Like you're still pretty independent. I'm like, yeah, you're definitely more independent. It's a spectrum, but right. you're, it's a you're spectrum. never truly independent. <laughs> yeah, you're right. never truly independent. Of you're always having some relationship to something else. Right. By the way, and to the extent know, that you have like, a relationship yeah. with
0: something else, you have an identity associated with that thing.
1: Yeah. The, like cops produce hippies, hippies produce cops. Like you only know that you're a square, or that you only know that you're not a square, that you're not a yuppie, that you're not someone in a, you know in a suit and tie because there's people with suits and ties, right? And right. so you're dependent upon them for your identity. Like, if you didn't have the fundamentalist, then you wouldn't have you. You wouldn't have the... If you didn't have the atheist, then you wouldn't have the religious. Like, you wouldn't have any way yeah, to differentiate. Yeah, although those
0: are sort of things that are... Um, that, they're related in a in a way of... of um, let's see, comparison or negation or something like that. Yeah. But, I mean, to the extent that... Um, like I was saying, you have a relationship with something. So yeah, you're defined by the things that make you different, but you're also defined by the ways that you sort of are part of something greater in the sense that mm-hmm. like, you know, the, the, the Christian idea of like my wife and I being one because there, there's a family that we're both part of and that family isn't either one of us, it's both of us.
1: Mm, i right. think of i i mean i think i push back on that idea typically just because i think that there needs to be a self uh, like a, a healthy sense of sense of differentiation even when you are in in, in a relationship and i think the way that i i've, I've well, been no no sorry i'm not trying to say that, from, that neither of us I- yeah. I-
0: exist as individuals i'm saying that we have different yeah. le- layers of identity as like i have my I, I identify with myself and then i also identify as um as my family, as in my family connected to my my parents and my siblings, right. that's that's a that's yeah. an entity that exists, and I'm sort of part of it. But it's not even that I'm part of it; it's like I, I am that thing, in combination yeah, with those I mean, other people. I
1: prefer, yeah, I prefer to think of like in terms of Ram Dass. He always quotes this, uh, this poem. Like the that there is a third thing that the couple creates: a man and a woman sit on a couch. Is how it begins. I'm trying to think about it now. Um, sit in a yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll read it to you really quickly, because I think this is how I like to think about it. And I think it, it does have some parallels with exactly what you were um, well, with what you were saying, just in different language. Um, so it's by Robert Bly. And it's a man and a woman sitting near each other. And they do not long at this moment to be older or younger, nor born in any other nation or time or place. They are content to be where they are, talking or not talking. Their breaths together feed some someone whom we do not know. The man sees the way his fingers move. He sees her hands close around a book she hands to him. They obey a third body that they share in common. They have made a promise to love that body. Age may come. Parting may come. Death will come. A man and a woman sit near each other. As they breathe, they feed someone we do not know. Someone we know of, whom we have never seen. Um, so I think that does have like some parallels with the kind of language that you are using too. The way I was hearing you talk about you're a part of this thing, but it's not like you participate in it but you don't yeah i i it may be and i'm not sure how strong this
0: stands but i think it it might be comparable to the kind of evolutionary biology concept of shared fate it's like Mm. it's it's a thing that you know it's it's trying to do something my family is trying to do something and it's not specifically what i'm trying to do but i'm sort of Part of it right. on some level, right? And there's uh, uh, to some yeah. other greater extent. I'm, I'm part of a country, and that country is trying to do something, and I'm I'm part of that to some extent. Or it's not even that I'm, yeah. I'm it, part of saying so part. I part yeah. It still breaks it apart into its own thing again. It's yeah. like that. I'm not separate from it. That that thing is Wait, me, enough. right? Is is. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 I mean, this is, this is not like, um, too, too outlandish. And I think, you know, it's just hard to speak about in language. <laughs> I think it's hard to speak about an English language specifically, yeah. but, you know, I think of, um, um, Whitehead's idea, or maybe it's John Cobb who developed it more, but, um, the idea that we're communities of communities that I am a community to begin with. I am yeah. already a community. Right. Even if you think of like my biological makeup, there is yeah. all of Existence is sort of fractal together. in that way. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, then, And what's best for my community, the community of this body is also what is, you know, it it can't be what is it's not a zero sum game where what's best for this community of me needs to take away from others. And I think the extension of that boundary to be like, what's best for my community is what's best for the other communities, too. Is something that and pushing that bound that that circle larger and larger is something that is a noble kind of goal that I think a lot of people are moving towards in various religious traditions and social movements and stuff like that to be like no, I can't, I can't to make my family or my situation better. It's not about taking away from Garrett's family, right? Like it's when I see what Garrett's community is trying to do, I have to recognize that that is part of the wider community of what we are all. Like like you said, swimming in it's not that these are actually broken apart. That's why I say like the myth of identity of um, independence or the myth of separation. It's right. like well, um, so so identity that, yeah.
0: or things being particular objects; those are all sort of myths or metaphors, right? Existence, yeah, yeah. you know, individuality, particular particularity.
1: Yeah, this but, is non duality. This is like the, the the idea that I kind of like to play around with a lot. It's non dual thought,
0: right? and, and yeah. the the point is just that it it both is and isn't that it's like okay for anything to be a thing and for it to do anything it, it functionally becomes a separate thing
1: but it's like you could also think about everything being everything right. <laughs> right and so and so i think when when people start to hear this language one there's two things that happen Two, they, they get like well what about the law of non-contradiction in philosophy and like all that kind of stuff and which i don't give a fuck about your laws of philosophy that's fun <laughs> when you're playing it i'm not yeah. i'm not writing a philosophy paper right now my yeah. life isn't a philosophy paper the only purpose of philosophy is to help me re-engage with reality in a more vivid and valid way that's for me that's how i use philosophy if it's not doing that it's it's the it's the paralysis of analysis which is another term that i steal yeah. from uh, bushy you know it's just what are we doing here like i'm not here to i'm not that's i mean i know everyone can speak for themselves but i'm not here to sit in a room and watch my life deteriorate because i spent too much time getting caught in this paralysis right so i'm right. Um, so that's what i think about when people kind of go oh but what about the law of non-contradiction okay cool yeah. go and do your papers the other <laughs> part of it is right. Like, <laughs>
0: But so, I guess it. yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, I want to get to something because I'm thinking. So yes, there's there's no sort of objective things or objective ideas, uh, and and that's sort of we just kind of arrived at at postmodernism to some extent. Which I mean, within the mm. Christian perspective, I think of as just sort of that's that's what humility is. It's just that there's no mm. there's no end um, understanding of things. Our relationship with God, our relationship with sin, our relationship with reality is all. It all, maybe, can approach uh, something, but it's like a, re- it's reality isn't, isn't something that, that's, that's ever finally described. And, I know, and yeah, like you're saying, there's there's literally no point where it's finally described because there's always it's there's always a level of sort of mystery or reinvention of how things can be phrased or or be something different to some other context, some other set of values, right? A value yeah. sort of is what implies an object
1: and and um, and above humans too, like and this is where I like this is where I kind of step outside of the Christian story because I go like I think that God is op- like, if, if there is a God uh, that you know if we want to talk in those terms, that God is going to be open and relational and, and, and like, again, like in that process theology kind of thing where the future isn't determined and we can just fail. Like we can just mess this up by virtue of our poor decisions. And there's no, there's no place that's better than this. That's going to eventuate outside of God's ability to do it through us in that sense. Like if we mess up the climate, there is no second chance that is it for us. God can do fucking anything, right? Like with another species down the line, but for us, it's done. And so, and and we've, and by virtue of the fact of us not treating properly a place as holy as this earth, a place as sacred as this earth, right? The idea that something is more sacred than this earth is something that I would reject because that leads to people going like, well, you know, I'm not really interested in thinking about our position in the climate or our position in the environment because, you know, um, we've been given stewardship over it, but actually it's not that important because God, it is more about getting souls to heaven. Fuck yeah. It's not about that. There's there's no guarantee of that. If you you know, I love the sad guru. I mean, I don't know much about him. He could be a, a garbage person in a bunch of different ways. I'm not sure. But he did have one clip that I saw which I appreciated, which was um he's like, if you're so sure that there's a place better than this, then why don't you go? Why don't you go now? If you're so sure that there's a place better than this that you can get to. And that he talks about how it's a crime that we've we've told people that there's a place better than this. And he's like, What proof do you have? That you're not already in heaven and you're messing it up, right? <laughs> like, well,
0: I, I mean, okay, I, I want to backtrack a little bit too because we originally got onto the kind of the crutch thing, and we and we sprung off from there talking about dependence. And I, yeah. I, I said I freely admit that I, I view God as sort of a crutch. I, I just mm-hmm. I I strive to not have a, a toxic dependence on that crutch, but I I recognize mm-hmm. my I, I I kind of would consider myself. Uh, a legless person or at least maybe i've only got one leg but it's like i i right, right. I, I need to cripple. have a story and i need to have values in order to act in reality and, and the best story i've found is the one about god
1: cool i mean like and i would just say that i think there's a lot of better stories like personally i think that there are other ones that i appreciate more that give me more pause give me more like stuff to chew on personally and that's fine but like i love that when you're recognizing that you can say like i'm this is this is me like I, I I'm the legless man I'm you know I need this and that's okay and I think I, that means uh, my other point that I was going to make about um this whole uh, this idea of the usefulness of language and I was saying like okay well if you want to go into the laws of non contradiction screw that and I was going to make a second point the second point was that a lot of times people hear about non-dual thought or they start playing with this idea and then they think I can just stop being me like I can just stop being the legless man and I can just, because, because it's all one, right? Like you and I are all part of the same stuff. So just like, I'm going to go in, and then you find them. This is what Alan Watts says. I mean, then you find them years later and they're living in a dump in some fucking share house and, you know, and they, they don't know their postcode and that's another thing. That's a rum dust joke where he says like, learn your zip code, like <laughs> learn how to cook something, go to get a job, like do something. It's this idea that, you know, like, should I not resist then? Should I not like ever criticize things or protest because if you and me are one why should i disagree with you and it's like you've you've not recognized that part of this whole dance is me disagreeing with you right and like uh, so distinction is
0: part of what i mean even again if so we can we can think about things as everything being one but as soon as we want to get past that and and get into a world where we can act then we start distinguishing Mm -hmm. things from each other because we have values and we're trying to get somewhere and so,
1: yeah, and just rec- but recognizing doing that as a dance is different different than doing that as like this is super serious. And if I don't win, then then the world is going to end. So then I, that's what's going to probably cause the world to end. Is if is this idea that I can't I can't stand having you know like this is the um, a joke from Dylan Moran that like war isn't conflict. War is the inability to have conflict. Yeah. Like if you don't if you you, you can't handle having them that's exist, a great You can't handle having that that the distinction. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's doing it as a dance is a totally different thing to be like, okay, I'm going to, and you really do need to sit with yourself and see yourself clearly to, to really appreciate the, like a dance that you're not stepping on somebody else's toes when you could be doing it more gracefully. And and that there is some, and I think think the spaces that, yeah,
0: a, a dance might fall short in that, um, well, maybe not, um
1: it just on, depends on how how you feel about dance it's, <laughs> it's just the, if if, women, if
0: dance right. is still aiming i mean dance is still aiming at, t- at telling a certain story or or doing a certain set of motions there's still mm. something to be aimed cool. at there it's just that you're not this, yeah. it's just more about temperament depends. or more about how, how charitably you're you're treating people yeah. in the in the pursuit it depends, of your goals yeah.
1: really depends on how you feel about dance and like what, what your perspective on it is but i think the the typical reason people use dance or music as as metaphors for this is because they say like the point of a song isn't to get to the end of the song as quickly as possible. If that were the case, everyone would the best would be people who played the fastest. And the point of a dance isn't to get to a certain point in the room because you get there faster. Right. <laughs> there are different ways to get to a certain right. point in the room. It's about well, the it's Well, mean, similarly,
0: of the, the point the of, of, of a story or even the point of a video game isn't to, to beat it as fast as possible because right, you can make right. video games that people beat by pressing a button. And people know yeah. that that's not even a real game. Yeah. And, it, and when oh, it comes to telling right. a story, it's, it's not yeah. getting to the end of the story. So I was, I'm saying yeah. I, I don't think I, we know what stories or games or dances or songs are about, and that's what makes them so again I, I so holy, right? The, the, the purpose yeah. of them is is totally it transcends our ability to 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 get to the goal of them.
1: <laughs> yeah, and if, so like, and then in that sense, if reality isn't enough for you, you have no hope. There's nothing left. There's nothing else to get to. This is what we're doing. Um, And there's a few. Oh, there's so many things that popped into my head when we were just talking there that I wanted to say. But one of them was um, this idea that you said, like, if you if you could just press a game where you win when you like you make a game win when you press a button. Well, like this is the idea of like um, again, this is another Alan Watts idea when he talks about is that like if you were to if you were to be able to do anything, you would probably do like great things for the first like hundred years. You just do like you just relive the best moments of your life for the first like hundred years, and then eventually you would get tired of that. And what would you do? you would start going back to the heartbreaks, you know, to the failures <laughs> because you would need something to break it up. You would like want to understand like what's going on here in a different light in a different perspective. And um, yeah. And I think, yeah, I think that's kind of what I, how I feel about it. And um, the reason that, yeah, I would say that it's good to keep our minds open and, and attentive to a bunch of different stories is because we don't know exactly which, which right. dance well, we're dancing and we, so like, until we pay attention.
0: My relationship with God is is one where sometimes God almost acts somewhat the, th- the thing thing that I love about having this category or this character of God is that it's something that as soon as I describe it I'm wrong and I know. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. it it becomes a category for everything that's beyond my understanding. Uh, mm. as well as maybe a category for for well, I, I mean, I, like, I, even the 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 Lent thing, or just like God dying, it's like that. That's an important thing for me because that's like every version of God that I interact with is is sort of a uh, a creation of my own. Like, I, I I create the version of God that I interact with, and, and that's true of anything that I interact with. Again, because objects right. only become things when when they're married to values, and so I mean, all the people, even you know, the you, I'm I'm talking to right now, I'm not interacting with you know whatever if there's this sort of mythical thing of the real you yeah exactly i'm i'm sort of projecting you i'm emulating you to the best of my ability to understand what you mean with your words i'm I'm, there's a very interpretive process of interacting with anything it's it's interpretation and it's telling a story about reality right
1: yeah, I would say like, and I think that's right. And I've thought about that many, many times in my life. You know, even when I was in high school, I always used to think like, you know, of course, you know, the, there was a quote in a book I remember reading where they were like, one of the characters was criticizing somebody for being two-faced. And the person was like, the real criticism there is this idea that I only have two faces. Because <laughs> Obviously, I have a myriad of faces, but the idea is that I've, I've become so shallow that I only seem to be presenting two of them when in reality, there's so many right right, and so we were criticizing people for being two-faced because they're too predictable like they've 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 whittled themselves down to these two caricatures right and that's offensive to us because we're like oh no but you have so much more I know you're different Garrett when you're with me <laughs> than when you're with your wife or right? like I know you're more than these two people that yeah. you keep presenting to everybody as if there's only the two of you um and I think like the the other thing that comes to my mind and I do need to go soon but um was like that with the real me only exists. this is like a process philosophy stuff. So the actual entities in Whitehead's philosophy and in his metaphysics, um, they are a process of becoming, so they they ne- they don't exist over time, like societies do of of actual entities. They like they can have some sort of inheritance over time. but uh, the actual entities um, they become and they die and they perish in each moment, right? So the real me, "Quote unquote," <laughs> as I'm stating that phrase, is already gone by the time that I that I've said it. Right? That I, once you know, if you say well, the I, I think to, that, I that's sum, to sort of yeah. assume
0: that that there's that there are specific states in time, and that time is yeah. sort of a, has has sort of a frame system, yeah. and you could point to a particular. Like yeah. that, that's so kind of reading like a, a sort of a movie analogy into it, but it's like there, there are no particular moments in time either
1: this is like an a theory of time. So this would be like an a theory of time with like time is sequential and, and sequential events. And so each event um, is, is different from the other um, in that sense. But like, um, and those are the real, that's what really exists is these sequential events. But like, um, the, for example, I was going to get to like, I think therefore I am, by the time we've gotten to the end of the sentence, the I that was there when you started <laughs> is, is isn't, isn't it anymore. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And so it's kind of like, a it's a different, it's a very different mode of, of thinking about things a mode of being to, to recognize that everything changes. And that's like where I think I, as a nice place to like lead it up into why I kind of appreciate some of the Buddhist language, even though I wouldn't call myself a Buddhist because I don't practice any of the stuff. I'm not in a community. I don't like, it's just something that I have used some of their practices that I've been exposed to and I've read some stuff, but I'm just like a naive, you know, westerner, like learning the typical, like, typical uh, situation that most people have heard of a thousand times. But like um, this idea that everything changes is something that I think is really helpful to if you're going to have some aphorisms that you like uh, things that you tell yourself every day, that's probably a really helpful one because everything changes. And I think, you know, a flip side of that that I tell myself is that there's never nothing happening. Like things are only changing in a variety of different ways. And so like that apple on my, on my counter over here, is only getting older, you know, like it's only getting more ripe, right? And then it's gonna, you know, it's there's never nothing happening, means that there's always something to pay attention to or to learn or to be doing or to be in awe of or to be in wonder of or to be engaged with. And I think um, we we get told all these stories and like, you know, I think this is just something that I read again in a book called 100 Years, of, <laughs> we've had 100 years of psychotherapy and the world's getting worse. And one of the quotes that stuck with me was, um, you know, in a culture where what is normal is um, a sick relationship, a a sick combination between how much boredom you can stomach and how much denial you can defend, like truly new ideas is normally couched in psychoses or neuroses. And so, like, I think, you know, if you've been like a very, uh, maybe it's different in the States, but being like a very devout, like a really, like hardcore born again christian people think you're crazy right um when you're trying to take things seriously or in that sense or you know even if you start talking about like process philosophy or like any of these things if you really start to try and explore some creativity and novelty and your own thinking to get out of that state of like boredom and denying things um it really does rub people the wrong way. Cause they're like, no, you're not just, you got to accept reality and stay still. Like you got to stop changing so much. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, um, I do need to leave since so I'll, I'll let you kind of finish up in any way that you would like. I've got a couple more yeah. minutes, but, um, yeah, I mean,
0: I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to hold you back from getting on with your day, but I, I guess I just, I really appreciate you taking some time to chat with me, man. It's, It's been really cool to hear from you
1: yeah thanks, man. I appreciate it. I thought you asked some super nice questions and like um, you know it's, it's always good to talk to people who are coming from like different places to to where I'm at who have, who are interested in this kind of stuff because um, you know it is it is a healthy I think it's I think for me it's a healthy thing to do to to vocalize this stuff and to process it out loud and and to chat. and hopefully it furthers both of our thinking in, in different ways is, is always my hope.
0: Totally. Well, I, I know some of this stuff is going to stick with me, so I, I'm, I'm thankful for your time, and I'm thankful for sharing some some good information. But, yeah, maybe we'll follow this up someday and, and, and chat some more. I mean, I'm I definitely going to keep up with you on Discord, but thanks for yeah, doing man, this. Yeah, man, for sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right, take care.
0: All right. Well, that was interesting. If you enjoyed this conversation, consider sharing it with someone else you think might find it interesting. Even better, try to find someone you think might disagree with something here and take some time to listen to their perspective. Try to have a meaningful, good-faith conversation. Practice listening deeply and patiently and speaking clearly and precisely. I think if we can get better at this, we might actually change the world. Anyway, thanks for listening. I'll catch you next time.